Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Everybody, this episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you in part by our friends at Ray Allen Manufacturing. Everything you need for dogs, whether it's working dogs, pet dogs, sport, anything, rayallen.com, the best in the business. Uh, Check them out. We got a discount code, Working Dog Radio, for 10% off. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with the one and only dog trip. These guys are producing some amazing tools in the dog training world. Everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball training, it was electronics, and it goes on dogs. Go to dog trip. They're revolutionizing the way you communicate with your dog. Hit them up at dogtrip.com. Use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off a single item over 200 bucks. The biggest and baddest conference in canine anywhere in the United States is HITS. Every year, each and every year, hundreds and hundreds of vendors, thousands of attendees, the best instructors around. It got moved because of COVID. Um, It's going to be July 7th through the 9th in 2021. Check it out. Hits, letter K number nine dot net to get signed up. You can't go wrong. Hits K nine dot net. Let's see you there next year. Yeah. Speaking of some guys that are going to be there next year, the kinetic dog food guys, fueling a working dog can be tough, but they need high quality food to give them the energy and the nutrients that require they, that they require for the work that we ask them to do. Kinetic dog food is a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is specifically made for working and sporting dogs. Be sure to hit them up at kineticdogfood.com. Easily, hands down, the best product we've ever represented on this podcast is Quick Derm by Vet Care. Ted and I use it in the kennel on our dogs when they get goofy injuries and ourselves when we also get goofy in- injuries. They have a discount code for us, 10WDR for 10% off your first order. Check them out at vetcare.us. All right, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Uh, I am Ted Summers. This is the first recording of the uh, of the new year of 2021. So, uh, yeah, uh, we're in the new year, new recording. Things are we're heading towards 150 episodes. So, uh, yeah. Other than that, with me as always from Canton, Ohio, is uh, Eric. Eric Stambro, what's up? Uh, handler school. I got, um, two guys. So we're recording this on a Wednesday. The first, what is this? What the fuck is this? Six, yeah. first Wednesday in January. <clears throat> it's a week away from my daughter's 19th birthday. So I should pay attention, but, um, yeah. Uh, on Friday of this week, two of the three guys take their state certification. Um, the other guy is the guy I had to repurpose. I had to take his dog out and give him a new one. So he's going to be with me for a little while. And, um, starting next week, he's going to be working his dog and then, every of the seven other green dogs in my kennel. So he's going to get a lot of them. And I'm going to make him work. He's left-handed. I'm going to make him work him as a right-handed guy. So it'll, it'll make him better. But um, yeah, yeah, things are, you know, come along. It's Ohio in January. So it's cold and Carhartts are out. And, um, but I did a shitload of decoying today. Um, Everybody's just looking back. I'm fucking old, man. But uh, I still did 30 bites, 30, 40 bites, 35, something like that. It was a lot. So whatever. No big deal. Um, one of the dogs that I sold to my old agency was there today and just kind of cleaning him up a little bit. And um, I forgot how hard that son bitch bites. And he bit me in the elbow right under that. Got one tooth jammed up under that bone. Dude, it hurts. Like, it really hurts. The whole day right. I was like... I ain't, I ain't a bitch, but this really fucking hurts. I, I have several dogs that take off and come back like once a year for research and some other shit. And then 
I, you know, and they, and they keep up with the handlers, but they come back and the same thing, like they'll bite. And I'm like, God damn, does this dog always bite that hard? And <laughs> it is forget. always, a, yeah, it's always a, a shocking. It's not, that's not a good surprise. <clears throat> I, I, I don't enjoy it. I had to do a bunch of decoying work today. Do we're working on outs for uh, one of my guys. So I got three guys in school from one from Indiana, one from Missouri and one from Kansas. Uh, and I had a department from Oklahoma here today looking at a dog. Um, we went over to uh, TPD's facility today and uh, they tested him out and uh, they liked him. So I think they're going to get him. So it should awesome. be good. I've been doing handler classes kind of like uh, when the department needs it, you know, like right. you do one, one, yeah. two, three dogs, one dog here and there. But it's a pain in the ass to try to do that with uh, then working green dogs and everything. So I decided that I'm going to start doing um, scheduled handler classes in the spring and in the fall train green dogs through the winter and the summer um see how that goes so i, I decided today march 1st to april 16th is going to be the spring class so i've got two departments right now they're going to be in it um see how that goes see if i like it uh, it might be as a small business guy it might be it might not work right it might be losing money so we'll see on that but i i got to do something dude i cannot train do the handler school all day with seven green dogs in the count in the van not getting uh, you know and no, i can't do it sucks. so i did i did bite work with them all today but that's just because you know we we're just doing state search crap and that doesn't take very long so anyways yeah, the, who do we yeah. got today well we have so uh i know this episode is going to air the last should be the uh, so this goes out to general population on uh january or yeah january 23rd is when this one will upload because everybody should have just heard the episode from uh, mick uh, the last one on the 13th which was a fantastic episode and everything's gonna be talking about it so um we decided to do a series um for a four-part series i guess is what it's gonna end up being of uh so since we started this you know we get analytics um from our hosting site and everything else um, so outside of the United States, the largest consumer of this podcast is Australia. So we have a lot of Patreon members from Australia. We interact with a lot of um, handlers and trainers from Australia. Um, we're going to interview somebody that uh, I've met on more than one occasion here in the United States from Australia um, in one of the other interviews following this one. So um we're doing an, uh, I don't know, we're, we'll find it. I'll think of a funny name for this. Like, we'll think of a funny name for the Australia episode. So we're doing an entire four-part series um, on Australian trainers and handlers um, to kind of say thanks for listening and supporting the podcast from way the hell down there. <laughs> way far away. We fuck, Australia is fucking far. So tonight uh, from Canine Services, we have Brad Griggs. Brad, how are you, man? Hey boys, how are you? Excellent. We are excellent. No, there is no way known I was going to kick off the Aussie series without opening with a good day. Of course, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> the name of this episode is going to have something to do with the two of you guys in your leprechaun beards and me with a face that cannot grow hair. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you know, Brad and I have these fucking rocking ass beards and Eric has not that so <laughs> go look at it go look at go look at go go check it out on youtube but yeah so brad why don't you give us a little bit of your background um and uh you know how we get into dogs and how we got to this conversation uh this is the bit that 
always makes my skin crawl a little bit because I've talked about myself. Right? So, um, where to start? So um, let's. I'll go backwards. So uh, we have um, we actually have a couple of mutual friends, uh, you guys and myself. Uh, but you guys were talking to a dear friend of mine up in uh, Canberra, so the Australian Capital Territory, and uh, you asked him on and. Uh, he couldn't do it for operational reasons because um, he uh, serves in LE. And uh, he recommended me and a couple others to you. And I, I guess that's how that's how I come to be here with you guys today. But I'm, I'm stoked because I actually, um, I subscribe to uh, um, Working Dog Radio. So it was pretty fucking cool to, be, uh, <laughs> that, uh, to see that Alicia had reached out and asked me on. Yeah. Um, shit. Where was I supposed to go with that? Oh, yeah. Like your your history here, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've been training dogs for about eight, 17, 18 years, something like that. Uh, I started out, um, sort of my love for working dogs goes back. I was 14 years old uh, and I used to train um, in combatives with uh, a, a group of blokes, the whole goddamn gym had uh, protection dogs, big angry Rottweilers and shepherds and no males back then. And I was like 14 years old and, and um, I developed uh, one of the guys that ran the gym. So our gym was also the office for the biggest dog training club in the country. Right? And back then... It was all the dogs did obedience and all the dogs did protection. Chihuahuas, Jack Russells, Border Collies, they'd all do mm. protection work, right? It's all breeds. Um, and so I formed, uh, I was mates with a guy in reception. I used to teach a class there. Um, and so I used to walk down after school to teach my class and I'd hang out with a guy at reception and he had this fuck off big pit bull named Angus, like a liver coloured, liver nosed. And he's beautiful, he's a beautiful dog. And he used to, and I was the only one that was allowed to interact with him, right? Everyone else he had to ignore. But he used to get so excited and I loved that dog. Um, and I had a, a, it wasn't a deep relationship with him, but it was an awesome superficial relationship. And so I've, I've seen these dogs, like I used to go into the bloke who ran it, I'd go into his office. And you'd have to peep through the peephole because he had a couple of dogs that were really goddamn serious, like really, really, really serious dogs. So you'd always, I just grew up walking around these dogs and it was normal for someone to walk a dog through like a kickboxing class or something, right? So that was when I was, when I was 14, I got the taste for this. And then as I got older, I had that, that relationship with uh, Angus and that cemented in my head that I wanted a working dog. I went to my parents and I'm like, want to get a dog so I dragged them all down to training and then they watched um they watched this dog do a demo and of course I'm completely sold on it and my parents were like hard no definitely not mm. so when I was a kid my parents wouldn't let me own pocket knives what do I collect now pocket knives I didn't have the cool shoes what do I do now bright colored shoes so what do I do now they said no to dogs now I'm a dog trainer <laughs> Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't revisit that until I was about 20, until I was about 25. And then, um, I wanted to, to buy like a pit type dog and went back to my buddy and said, Hey, 
that was about a little, you know, can we sort something out with some protection training for this dog? And he said, you know what? You should be a decoy. Used to move really well in the gym, right? Fit, young, half a meathead, might as well go and give it a crack. (laughs) So I did. And I, to be perfectly honest, at that stage, I was just working labouring jobs and, you know, done some door work and whatever else. There was nothing like a career on my horizon. And I went down there and I finished on the first night and I jumped on the phone to my then missus and said, that's it. I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And that was it. I've done it ever since. So went, went on, did a professional trainer's course um, back before it was government certified. So, you, you know, you could fail. And if you were shit, you got told you were shit. And um, that was really good because it gave me a lot of like the book smarts and it dovetailed in. I was, I was just voraciously consuming anything working dog related that I could. Um, back then it was watching grainy copies of copies of copies of copies of VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was all there really was like YouTube wasn't really a thing then. Um, and so I was just consuming all information that I could, uh, stuck with it, trained with a club for, for a couple, two, three years. And then I've been out on my own since, um, I've tried to have a couple of other jobs here and there. Um, got fired from more than one. I'm, <laughs> I would say I'm broadly unemployable. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, so, so I've stuck with this So right, right through till today. So now I have a full – well, it was the first one in Melbourne, uh, which is where I'm from in Victoria. It's the, the southern – on the eastern seaboard, it's the southernmost capital city on the mainland. Uh, and so, yeah, it was the first full-time indoor training centre in uh, in the state. And um, it's not now. Another buddy of mine has, has opened one. And, yeah, that's what I do. So I, I train dogs here. I train handlers here. Um, before COVID fucked us, uh, I was running seminars here. And, um, yeah, I, I got a bunch of programs that I run. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the guts of it. Um, I, unfortunately, I, I don't because of our laws here. I don't get to decoy, and and that was my first passion. Um, so, if anyone wants me to decoy their dog, you can guarantee I'm going to do a poor job of it for a few grips. But yeah, I'm too nasty. Um, but yeah, man, that's <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, I think how does that work for you, boys? That that's more or less a wrap up. That's good. And yeah. uh, we'll let everybody know you host your own podcast and we'll, we'll get, uh, we'll get oh, into yeah. that here shortly. But uh, so go all the way back to when you were at that, uh, that place that did the protections on all those off breeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look back at it now and you're thinking about, is there a couple dogs you're like thinking about? Like I would never expect that dog to do protection work and he did good at it. Yeah. Well, it could be alleged. So our, our laws here, in Victoria, um, don't allow for dogs to be trained. Uh, it's illegal to encourage them to aggress towards a person and it's illegal to teach them to buy any article attached to or worn by a person. So it, it rules out sport, it rules out um, 
it rules out like personal protection type work, whatever. And, and we've got some other laws there too, which can actually see you, um, if, for example, if a serious injury is just breaking the skin, right? Like under our legislation. So if your dog has received protection training and it causes that injury to someone, there is provision in the legislation for you to just get five years. Wow. Yep. Yep. 10 years. If, if, if there's a death, 10 years, uh, it hasn't been tested yet. What the fuck? As best I'm aware. Yeah, man, it's, we're, I live in the nanny state. I live in the, don't even get me started on, like, I'm not a political guy, but I'll tell you what, it's like, uh, it's pretty crazy. Like our COVID lockdown has been mental. Yeah. I mean, we have some areas in the country, we have some areas in the United States that are kind of wonky. And, you know, the most we ever deal with is a Karen running around a park, you know, reporting that we're, you know, abusing dogs or something, but I mean, it's, it's a, that, that is insane. I have never, I would have never have heard that. So that's a state deal. It's not a national, it's not all over the country, right? That's right, Ted. Yeah. So um, we have some national laws uh, and by no means do I consider myself an expert on this. So feel free to fact check anyone listening, feel free to fact check what I'm saying. Um, But we do have some national laws in relation to, um, like certain dog breeds being banned. We got fire banned breeds and whatever else. But yeah, it's if, if you drive four hours from here, you cross the border into the next state up on the east side, which is called New South Wales. And you can just go and train protection work down the park. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So wow. a lot of countries have their individual Whoa. sports. What is the sport that folks that are allowed to do that are doing in Australia? Um, overwhelmingly, um, Schutzen slash IPO slash slash IGP, whatever they call it this week. Um, that uh-huh. is, <laughs> I can't keep up. Um, <laughs> I, I can't keep up. <laughs> um, that's that's overwhelmingly the sport. We also have um, like competitive curriculums put out by the Australian National Kennel Council, right? Which is or Kennel Club. I can't remember what the C stands for mostly because I don't really care what they say. Um, but, yeah, we, they, they have their own curriculums. Um, but, yeah, the sport, sport has a tough time in this country because that National Kennel Council, um, contrary to what the FCI does, so anyone who doesn't know what the FCI is, that's the, I think I'm saying it right, Federation Synologique International. It's like a... It's an overarching body that like the American Kennel Council or whatever it is they belong to, you know, papers go back there. Um, and so here in this country, they refuse to recognise uh, sporting titles on um, on a dog's pedigree. So uh, it's, it's not a good situation sport-wise at all um, here. But Schutzend is definitely the most popular one. And um, seems like Pat Stewart and a few of his buddies uh, are doing good work um, in terms of popularising PSA. Uh, there is a yep. very small uh, ring sport community by comparison to the Schutzen community. But that's pretty much it, boys. That's that's the guts of it. That's really what people get up to here. I can see it. I can see it in your face and I can hear in your voice the frustration and 
and having yeah. to deal with that stuff because you know that they that laws are bullshit i mean they they come out of nowhere they don't they people don't really understand it has australia or even state by state started fucking with the collars like a lot of european countries yeah. in some places have yeah for sure so um i'm not an expert on what's going on in every state but for instance, in my state, I'm allowed to use e-collars with my clients uh, or myself under certain circumstances. A vet has to check the dog more than once, right? Just to ensure welfare, um, make sure there's there's no sort of physical condition in the dog that precludes it from being suitable. Uh, and then we can pretty much just use it as we wish, as long as we're not being dick bags to the dog, you know, as long as we're not compromising welfare. Uh, but then again, you cross the border and we can't use pinch collars here in Victoria under any circumstance, but then you drive four hours North, like I said, to uh, New South Wales. And now, uh, I have to take that e-collar off because in New South Wales, there is no possible, um, application for an e-collar. Uh, but I can put a pinch collar on my dog and I can buy a pinch collar at the pet shop. So it's... It, I've, I've done a bunch of advocacy work over the years um, calling for legislative change, mostly relating to breed-specific legislation, right? So I run um, a bunch of dog bite prevention programs as well, which are pretty popular. Had, I think, 3,500 people through the program. So over a few years, which is, you know, it's not a small number. No, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, and... So understanding dog bites and obviously like um, having background as a decoy and whatever else, like I prob we probably have some pretty similar opinions on the way all that works. One thing I discovered while I was sort of trying along with the help and on the shoulders of a lot of other good people, I was, I was playing a role in trying to change legislation to something that was science-based to actually protect the community, right? Um, and I discovered that the process is not at all designed to be serviceable for the average human. And it is deliberately designed as such. So it's very, very frustrating um, that the laws don't make sense. And for the greatest part, the when we start dealing with collar-related issues, um, the key stakeholders that the government does consult with are... Uh, can't use e-collars they've got no uh they can't show their work with e-collars they don't understand uh, um really anything about them other than what they read and their ideological position or, or the the stated mandate of the organizations that they represent actually precludes them from ever being allowed to use one right so then they're being consulted about how it works um and the the people that they should be speaking to they don't but that's also i believe by design they they have an answer that they want and they're not interested in really going out broadly to people and actually finding out real facts and real concerns and real benefits if, if it's so, it, it, so weird being from a country where like literally everything down there that's alive can fucking kill you <laughs> and 
Like literally, you guys have fucking birds and snakes and fucking spiders and shit and all kinds of crazy stuff and fucking kangaroos that fucking box with people and they don't want you using fucking e-collars or pinch yeah. collars depending on the fucking state you're in. Wow. So, that's and that's exclusively limited yeah. to like civilians, right? So military and law enforcement aren't bound by, uh, or are, are, I mean, I don't know, are they bound by the same laws or is it strictly limited to like just civilian trainers and civilian owners? Uh, yes, it's, well, uh, it varies from organization to organization, right? So here, like you guys have different laws more or less by county or by town, right? We don't have that. Our political system's different. So we have national right. level laws and then we have the, then the state dictates everything, right? Like the, the individual state that we're in has its own laws. So um, it, there, I know that there are uh, dispensations to the legislation uh, for police canines and also for military canines. Our military is going through some stuff at the moment in relation to electronics. Um, and, uh, you know, but there is the room for them to use them for sure, which is good. I mean, it's essential, right? Working dogs will save us all in the dog world eventually. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Um, when uh, you were doing the decoy, when you got to do a lot of decoy work. So we have, there's a lot of people and we have a lot of decoys listen to us and we put on decoy camps and there's a lot of guys out there and I love, I love them and everything. They're, they, they want to be decoys. Cool. But they're like, uh, they're like skydiving instructors where they make no money. They just travel around, live in vans or whatever. Decoys here in the States, it's not a job. You, there's a, like a few people that make any money, two or three, like literally almost nobody that makes a money decoying. Is, is it an industry at all in Australia? In certain areas it is. Um, in certain areas it is. Uh, not Certainly not here. I would deny it, but it could be alleged that for the first four years of my career, I managed to make a living doing it. Yeah. Well, I deny, of course. Right. <laughs> Cause I allegedly, maybe yeah, probably allegedly. not, probably yeah. not, but, <laughs> but yeah, um, we, so there are, sorry, Ted. Yeah. I was just say, yeah, we, we tell guys all the time, like everybody wants to decoy and you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a great decoy and I teach decoys. Eric's good decoy. We teach good decoys and, you know, cause we both train police dogs and, you know, the bread and butter of a police dog trainer is obedience and detection work. I mean, that's what we do most of the time. I mean, shit, most of these motherfuckers will bite at eight weeks old anyway. And if they bite correctly, it's like, well, just don't screw it up. And that's all we have to do. And then teach them to find people and find drugs or bombs. And that's it. So, I mean, it's a skill set that's extremely specialized. Um, but also, uh, I mean, it's, it's extremely valuable um, to have. And so, you know, um, thankfully, you know, we're not in this position where we have to worry about laws or anything like that. So um, how much decoying do you get to do now outside where it's legal, by the way? Um, unless I travel interstate, I don't get to work dogs. Right. Um, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's no Instagram green circle on that one for sure. <laughs> um, 
but but yeah, quite quite honestly, um, extremely little. Like it's if I was gonna like the way that business has gone now, I work with I work with a lot of um, dogs that have issues with aggression, anxiety. To me, like I I do a lot of problem solving, um, and I and I like getting to develop you know, sporting type dogs and whatever else as well. I, I really enjoy that part. I really love working with puppies. Um, but, you know, decoying is one thing that I miss. But, you know, I'm in my 40s now, boys. So, what am I, 40, I think I'm 43 now. I'd have to check my licence. But um, mm. I, th- I think that ship has sailed, you know. Like I, I just sort of have to accept that it's something that I'll do whenever I get the chance and I'll always try and get better at it. But at this point, like, uh, you know, I've fallen into an, to other areas of business, I suppose. Um, but God damn, I love it, Ted. I love it. So the uh, getting into uh, well, a couple of things real quick. One, so what you're saying is because you work all the um, reactivity and, and all the aggression cases, you just never take vacations or any shit for yourself, right? I'm assuming um, because- that's the thing with pet dog trainers. We never, ever get a break. Uh, I'm, I'm reasonably good at what I do, but that doesn't mean I'm good at business. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So working until you <laughs> so, Allegedly, in the first four years of your career, as a young super stud decoy traveling around, is there any, can you get laid? Is there any women in that? No, no. Hear that, folks? Hear that? Wasn't that nice? (laughs) But down there, everybody sounds like you, so you don't have the cool accent while you're there. Come here and decoy. (laughs) 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 I got um. Even here, I think uh, my accent is kind of strong. Like I speak. I, I don't speak in a manner that reflects the way I was raised, that's for sure. But, you know, I, I have all those typical Australian pronunciations and dropping letters and sticking vowels on the name of it, on the end of everything. And I can put, I, I can speak fluent strine. Like if you get me around my mates, my accent is absolutely terrible. Um, but, yeah, I pro- I'm probably a little bit stronger accent than a lot of Aussies. A lot of Aussies are just better spoken than me, I think. Does, does a couple of beers change any? Does it make it worse? <laughs> Uh, yes. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Ted goes full Oklahoma when he uh, when he. No. Started. No. 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 <laughs> no when, what that means, but so no, we had that uh, thing up in Albany, New York, and I took my so my intern kid Josh. Uh, he's in his early twenties and he's in college, and he was raised here in Oklahoma, and um, you know, he has a very very um, thick accent, and we went to. Uh, Albany, New York, and he was talking to um, a canine handler from the East Coast, from Connecticut, and which is in the United States, along with Oklahoma. Both both of them speak English, um, just like all of us do. And they could not communicate with each other. I, I had to fucking, I had to lie. I was like the UN. I was like, don't you guys both speak English? Like, what's the deal here? And then one of our instructors, Tyler, he's from Boston. And sometimes, you know, he's not that bad. But when we were up in Boston, some of those handlers would talk. And I'm like, I, you're going to have to say it again. Like, what the, what did you say? And <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, no, I don't go full Oklahoma. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? What? 
But the hell is that? <laughs> what did you say? What? Uh, so the state you're in, um, the police there, is it a state police or are there even individual so, little towns? It's just state. So in all the states, all the states run their own police force. Uh, and then the federal police also have a presence in each state. Mm-hmm. So the state police guys that you have there. Um, so over here, shit, this goes, this goes all the way down to individual cities and, and mm. towns and things like that, where you work at this department and, you know, the, the federal courts have set use of force standards and you can, as long as you're within those, you maybe like my old department, we were getting about a, a bite a week while I was there and they, they've toned it down a little bit, but it was a, as a group about a bite a week and sometimes a lot more than that during the summer. Um, and then there's other places that like the state of Ohio, where I'm living in the state police, they have uh, dual purpose dogs, but I tell you, if you bite somebody, they, they really dick with them like really bad. So is it, is it like, yes, in your state, you have a bite dog, but don't bite anybody or do they actually get to rock and roll a little bit? Uh, for the, for the cops. Yeah. 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 So the friends of mine that I have, um, their dogs definitely get to do work. See, that's so weird. Right. God I'm forbid you I mean, you do. Oh my God! I'm now I'm fucking pissed. <laughs> I, I was I was kind of waiting for the you know because there are countries like Venezuela, for example, like there are people that should be or Colombia, Venezuela, Colombia, one of the two, and I think maybe Taiwan. There's a couple of other countries where like they're like it is forbidden for law enforcement or military to bite people with dogs right so and the united states is really strange well not strange but you know we police very differently here and um even the europeans kind of (laughs) (laughs) yeah the europeans even look at us sometimes they're like well you guys kind of do things differently and like you said we have our own legal system and we do things a lot differently here and we bite people uh, we, we buy people, we arrest people. Um, our, our legal system and our court system is very, um, <laughs> it is very, it is set up, um, to, I mean, you know, we have the three branches of government, you know, the cops are one legislative branch is another, and then, you know, we have the court system as its own individual piece of the puzzle. And that lends itself to some very interesting interactions. And because of that, um, you know, like Eric said, you know, we have we have federal mandates that are not from the legislature, but are from the court system, which is acts independent from the legislature that establishes our use of force policy. Well, just kind of an overarching use of force policy. So um, we have some federal court cases that kind of determine when and where and how you're able to do that. And um I just kind of fundamentally think anytime we allow politicians to do anything, it tends to be a knee-jerk reaction. <laughs> At least the ju- the federal judges are appointed for life, so if they make a decision, they have to sit on it for the rest of their life, which is fine. But politicians should just be fucking recycled like beer cans. But um, yeah. they're about as useless useful as that too. But <laughs> I'm, I'm completely on board with you, buddy. I think uh, we have the same problem here with career politicians. Being a politician shouldn't be a career. It should be. Uh, I believe it should be like a, an honor that you do. You, you put your life on on hold and you serve your community and then you do the best that you can in the time that you have. And then someone else does that. Yeah. Then you're you out like for, for, I believe in term limits, like not only term limits, but term limits and you can't bounce to another political job. Like you were say yeah. uh, attorney general of your state, you did four years or eight years, whatever you did. You're out, dude. That's it. Go, go yeah. like every other schmo and get a fucking job. 
So we're going to go ahead and take a Every break. Politician has been a complete flog. So, yeah. <laughs> we're going to go ahead and take a break. Uh, those of you on Patreon, we'll be right back. Those of you who are going to be listening on everything else, don't skip through the commercials. There's a lot of good stuff in there. We got great, great uh, sponsors, everything. We'll come back. We're going to get into uh, Brad's podcast that he's got and a couple other things. So uh, stick tight. All right, guys, one of our best sponsors, one of our oldest sponsors are the Perkinsons down in Harmony, North Carolina at Highland Canine. We have a ton of people going down there for their handler schools, their trainer schools, their full-on dog training schools where you learn police dogs, pet dogs, all aspects of it. They have amazing dogs for sale, classes for police, classes for police supervisors, pretty much a full gamut of anything you need in the dog world. Highland Canine definitely is the place to go check it out. Uh, there, I, I can't tell you enough about how great these people are. Everybody I know that's been there for their training say it is no joke. Um, check them out. Tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Get your butt down there in North Carolina, man, and learn. Speaking of full service, it's no secret that we love the guys up in Colorado Springs at Ray Allen Canine Equipment. We use their products every single day. Their mission statement says it all. To be a world leader in the quality and innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, ring sport to exceed our customers' expectations to deliver on time every time at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe that they, have, that they are true to that statement since it's our go-to one-stop shop for everything canine. They literally have everything there except the damn dog. You can get in the car, but they have inserts, they have hot poppers, they have e-collars, they have leashes, they have regular collars, harnesses, they have muzzles, they have some of the working dog draggers muzzles that end up starting their life in my living room. So be sure to check them out, rayallen.com, and use the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO written all the way out for 10% off. We really are so lucky and happy to be partners with uh, the guys down at Kinetic Dog Food. Um, the stuff that those guys are doing, man, it, it's so good. The ingredients that they have, we had them on a podcast. Uh, it was eye-opening. Listen to them talk about uh, the goofy stuff that goes into dog foods and in and, and the business. They are honest. They are great people. Kinetic dog food. Um, they will drop ship you a pallet if that's your thing. If you got that many dogs, they'll drop ship you a pallet anywhere you need it. Kineticdogfood.com, best in it in the industry and uh, definitely a personal favorite of working dog radio kinetic dogfood.com. Yeah. And if you're out on the East side of the country, uh, be sure to hit up Southern coast canine. They're a reputable canine kennel that does dog sales and training services located in sunny new Smyrna, Florida. Southern coast canine provides services worldwide from purchasing your next single or dual purpose working dog to handler courses and seminars. Southern Coast is a great resource to check them out. You know, the Heisers run a great ship down there, and obviously the weather's nice. So if you live in a part of the country where it sucks half the time, weather-wise, that's where you go in the wintertime. That's where you get your admin, send them down, get them, get them to send you down there in, in the wintertime when it's nice and sunny. Uh, they do a fantastic job with trainers courses, decoy schools, uh, and handler courses for green dogs and finished dogs and retreads too. So be sure to hit them up at Southern Coast Canine. That's letter K number nine.com and get scheduled or go find you a dog. Dogtra. Uh, we post on our social media all the time, Ted and I using Dogtra. Uh, I, I love everything about them. Uh, I think the Dogtra 1900S is the gold standard 
for police canine. Um, it is a perfect collar. The remote size is perfect. Um, you got that. You can do the um, hands-free device if you want. Uh, their ball popper, their Dogtra YS 600 bark collar. I've got a drawer full of those at the kennel. Um, I want my place nice and quiet. The uh, bark collars solve a lot of the thrashing in cars. If you got that dog that spins up at training in the back of the car, get yourself a Dogtra YS 600 collar. One of our biggest sponsors, one of our biggest friends, big supporters of the podcast, dogtra.com. Uh, they do have a discount code too for us is WDR10 for 10% off a single item over $200. Don't mess around. Don't wait. Dogtra.com. All right, everybody, Working Dog Radio, we are back. Hope that was long enough for Alicia. Um, our last episode, uh, you guys saw the blooper reel. Go check it out. We did. So what you don't know is on YouTube, for those of you, when we say we're going to take a break, we stop and stare at each other like a bunch of freaks for about five seconds, where Alicia, our producer, puts the commercials in. Our, our two podcasts ago with Rick Walterbeek, he just got up and walked out during the break. It was the funniest thing. True ever. story. Yeah, and I was I, like, well, I mean, I'm basically a dead soul, so I don't laugh very often. And <laughs> I do, I lost it. I was cracking up. So Alicia put it up on, on it's on YouTube. It's up on her page. It's pretty funny. So we're here with, I, uh, I, was just, I was just staring into Ted's dreamy eyes. Of course. <laughs> I don't know how Rick could get up and walk away from that. Yeah. That's a good <laughs> like, man. He's like that snake from the Jungle Book. You know, his eyes are spinning <laughs> and, and you're, you're frozen. So, um, so right now, um, over, over here in the States, uh, there's a shitload of working dog trainers that have figured out that there's a lot of money in the pet dog stuff. Um, how is the industry for you over there in Australia? Um, that's a great question. I did not foresee that one. Pets are where the money's at. Um, look, I've just, so I'm, I love developing dogs. I'm a Malinois guy. I've owned all the working breeds. I love developing dogs. I've just developed a dog that is, um, well, when this airs, he'll probably be on trial with a, with a law enforcement, um, group interstate. Um, so I'm real passionate about that, but it doesn't pay the bills. So let's just say I might have, at a guess, 20% of my clients, trying to create something beautiful with their dog like you know really really doing good work the guts of the pet industry in terms of training is it's populated by people that run it as like more or less like a side gig predominantly um yeah i'm sure it's the same over there puppy classes and you know basic obedience classes and whatever else and um it's definitely where the, the money seems to be. Um, I only f wound up doing all the pet dog stuff because I just wanted to train dogs and they're the dogs that were available to train. Yeah. So well, you're, yeah, you're, you're yeah. out of necessity really where you're at. Um, so like a lot of guys that like working dog uh, and train pets or whatever, what is in your house? As in what dogs have I got? Yeah. Your pets. Your specific yep. dogs. Yeah, my, my personal dog. So I've got an old Malinois named Kana who's like nine, ten years old. Uh, I've got um, – uh, and she's a very tightly bred dog. Like I, I wouldn't go back to those lines again. She's wonderful, but she's 
are different. Then um, I've got a competition dog, which is uh, her name's Snap. She's bred by Varg Kennels. Shout out to the boys. Uh, bred by Varg Kennels here in Australia. And then the dog that all I technically still own, who'll be on trial, his name's Boogie. And he's uh, Snap's like four years old. Boogie's almost 18 months old now. Oh, okay. So, yeah. And I, I run a network for developing the dogs. I run a network. So I've got like two other homes. So I pass the dogs. All the dogs get passed around all the homes at varying times. Um, oh, okay. So they learn to in multiple households with broadly similar expectations and um, they don't get too attached to, to too needy to any one person. So I'm, I'm a little bit different than some of them. I have a kennel full of Malinois right now. I have seven, seven miles, well, six miles in a duchy. At my house, I have a lab, a little whatever, and then a greyhound. Ted has like a whole bunch of like uh, Dutch shepherds, and then he has this dog. For the you on YouTube, yeah, the little gremlin dog, yeah, the little. <laughs> he's eye. got his own page, hasn't he, Ted? Uh, yeah, Alicia runs it. I don't know. Yeah, she does. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so that, yeah. don't, don't feed him water after midnight, man. Right? Exactly. Dog. Well, that's why it looks like that. Uh, Alicia exactly. would probably virtually stabbed me for bagging him. <laughs> so, no, she, I, yeah, that dog got... goes with us to HRD events all the time. Travels, uh, gets handled by five or six people. Our friend Tyler Falconer's in love with that dog. Um, got one She's eye only got and three legs. three legs, right? Yeah, she only got three legs. <laughs> Real quick, Ted, there's a lot of people who don't know the story of that dog. Show, show again. Tell the, tell the story uh, of that dog. So uh, Alicia's daughter saw her get thrown out of a car about 10 years ago. Uh, and she wasn't supposed to make it through the night. Her ear was, or her, uh, her eye was already like falling out of her head. Uh, and uh, I basically built a wing or Alicia basically built a wing onto the vet with how much it cost to save her. And yet here we sit. So um, she's, uh, she got hit by a motorcycle at one point too. So she's like missing an eardrum, but uh, yeah, she's pretty rad. Other than this and I, we have, um, I've got, I've got my personal dog black and then Alicia has static, the Dutchie. And then we have hype. Uh, we got from our buddy Kendall down in Texas. Um, and then I've also got, um, the dog for um melnick here right now uh pepper yeah. the new dog so pepper's here so i'm doing some work explosives and some uh tracking and some apprehension stuff with her so that's interesting so i've got four working dogs in the house which is um i feel for you it's buddy. a lot <laughs> it's a lot a little dog bites too oh yeah she'll bite the <laughs> shit out of you Oh yeah, the last her last live. She has more live bites than most units. She bite she bit a stripper one time. That was fucking great. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fun. I message. There's a messenger here on Zoom. I message. Go get your little dog for the camera. It's a perfect timing. So, um, how has since you started doing the pet dogs and started doing working dogs or everything? How has it um, the style that you're using for pet dogs transferred over to when you do get to work working dogs or sport dogs or vice versa? So, um, bloody good question. <laughs> I don't really turn dogs away, right? I'll turn away handlers. I don't, I don't work with everyone that comes to me wanting to work. I'm, I'm sure you're the same. Like, it's just not worth the ball chafe. Like having to spend 10 hours with someone who isn't your kind of person or you find abrasive or whatever. So, um, because I'm not, 
I don't really choose, like I'll try and help. I don't have a hundred percent success rate. I don't even know what the fuck that is. Right. But if you have a hundred percent success rate, then you're not really taking on really screwy dogs. Right. You're not really taking on deep seated problems. Right. Um, so I would say that for the most part, um, most of my clients, um, they learn to be really high quality amateur dog trainers and, and I'm not blowing smoke up my own arse here boys, but like I look at some of the work that, that other Australian dog trainers put out and I look at the work that some of my clients do with their own dog. Right. And I go, that actually holds up like clear markers, profound reinforces, focus on building behavior that you want to see. Um, you know, obviously I, I do a lot of clicker work Um not exclusively, but a lot. So obviously like part of that is because I want my clients to build the suite of skills that they, that they need to use to uh, succeed with their dogs into the long-term like meaningful long-term results. Um, so it looks, it if let's just say that the client's working with like a pet dog, it looks broadly similar to what you'll see a lot of sport dog trainers do. Right. Of course, um, if the end result that they're seeking isn't like a competitive dog, then we can start to um, shift the way that we, that we work as time goes on. Like I'm a firm believer that if you, if you start, it's, it's easier to go from a lot of reinforcement to very little reinforcement, but you can't start with very little reinforcement and then move to move down from there. Right. So I, th- I don't know if I answered your question properly there, Eric, but I was trying to. Like, I think it, broadly speaking, looks quite right. similar. So what my thing is, so I did police dogs for a long time. I learned in the system that I was taught in as a handler. I've talked about it in here a lot, the, the choke, tra- choke collar yank and crank stuff. Um, very little reinforcement, maybe a good little good boy. Um, and that's just, that's, and there's a lot of people still use that system. Um, most right. Yeah. I would say, right. It's still a big thing. We, um, but then I changed, you know, changed the way I was doing police dogs. I just did police dogs. And I started doing pet dogs. The first one or two, I actually was kind of doing like police dogs, at least in the way I was teaching the heel and everything. And, um, then I started changing up the pet dogs the way I do it. And I've, it's actually translated over to the police dogs more than the other way. And it's, um, Cause I started to think about when I really learned dog behavior about reactivity, right? For example, leash reactivity that, that looks, that appears to a lot of people as an aggressive dog. Um, the dog at the canine training where, uh, and Ted, Ted sees him, I see him, everything where, Hey, uh, Argo's coming in, everybody get the fuck out of the way. Cause he'll bite and go off on everybody as you're walking by him. Oh, yeah. But when in reality, if you think about it, if I th- thought about those dogs through over the time, I'm like, yeah, I get, I think he was like full time running loose in the backyard, no structure, no, you know, no crate, no kennel on the furniture, all the things that create reactivity in pet dogs. So I started ch- changing a lot of the training on the working dog side based off of what I was seeing on the pet dog side. I've seen some people go back and forth. That's kind of, what I was getting at with you, if you, if you have evolved that way, or if that's, if you started out that way, or if there were some things you were seeing in the Uh, pet dogs and you saw them in some working dogs and went, yeah, that's just, that's just straight up. uh, No rules is what that is. 
yeah, okay. So um, thanks for clearing that up. That's I can answer that easy. I started out, I was a more or less a hang and bang trainer, very, very compulsive. Um, to be fair, I was very, very good at applying stress to dogs to get an outcome. And I ran like multiple body and training contracts. I think the most dogs I had to was responsible for training in one day was like 26 or something. No. Right. Clearly the quality of the work that you're doing with that many dogs is not good. No. <laughs> right. So I'm not saying I was doing good work and there's no way known you can take dogs for three days and turn them out and be anything other than compulsive no. for greatest majority. So I was a very compulsive trainer. And then uh, like you guys, right? Like you just watch dogs and it leaves you with a question and then it nags at you. We'll all be the same. We have to be like being in it for this long. Mm-hmm. You need to know the answer. So you need to try things. And I started seeing the holes in some things and I've had one or two mentors along the way that um, have done the the very best that they could to sort of give me access to what they understood. And at varying stages, like being able to have a conversation that goes down a few rabbit holes is, is super interesting. And then I, I would say probably about, roughly 10 years ago. So I raised a, an accidental puppy. It was a half male, half shepherd. Um, and uh, I started clicker training with that dog. And I think my game started to up there and I wasn't any good at it. And so, yeah, I've, I've definitely evolved over time. Like I, I remember if you're dealing with a reactive dog, like when I started, there was none of this food bullshit, right? There was punishment or a pat. And that was that, right? And so the answer to anything you didn't like was crush it. I look back on the dogs and look, I I firmly believe that the greatest majority of dogs will succeed in spite of their training, not because of it. If your curriculum shit and the dog manages to work it out, well, then you're relying on how awesome the dog is. It's not the quality of the training that is is producing the outcome, right? It's the, the smart of the dog. And over, you know, I started seeing things differently and I started smartening up and yeah, the sort of now I have a vastly different outlook on dogs that have issues relating to reactivity and aggression and anxiety. And I have a lot of those dogs on my books. I, I'm, I guess I can say I'm, I'm pretty good at doing stuff with them. Um, mm-hmm. I seem to understand them pretty well and I seem to be able to, give people pieces that they can action in steps where they can start to build alternatives or surrogate behaviors to help dogs cope. And um, I have some really good relationships with veterinarians because um, sometimes it's like, well, why, why spend 20 sessions trying to get something done when we can give that dog some like a, uh, like propanolol or something like that and reduce the amount of arousal that the dog's got and actually let him think through this problem with a clearer head and then fade that away and now we don't need it anymore and the dog can function. So, I don't know, that's probably too long and rambling an answer, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, no, it's no, definitely no. shifted. I, I, I try, I, I find it hard to give a quick answer there because I think it's just such a deep and nuanced discussion when you start dealing with dogs that think and feel that way. Um, I'm, I'm sure that you guys would agree. Yeah. And, um, I don't know about over there, over here in the States, the veterinarians, the two, I think the two smallest blocks of 
instruction at veterinarian school are uh, behavior and nutrition. Yeah. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Dude, we, (laughs) I have an attorney friend who I knew from back, he was a defense attorney when I was at the police department, had, you know, just knew him. He, he asked me to be a, a witness in a, in a case, a civil and potentially a small little criminal case where this woman's got this dog who bit somebody, right? And um, second person that the dog has bitten. So while she's, before she even gets, uh, gets this attorney on board and gets everything going, they, they label the dog a dangerous dog, all this other stuff. The veterinarian just pulls all the dog's teeth. That was his, that was his solution. Shoot that fucking guy. Yeah, that was his solution to keep the dog from biting people is take all all the dog's teeth, all of them. So our our buddy down in, where the fuck is he? Katie Matthews. Isn't he in Florida? I'm trying to remember, Uh, yeah. Yeah, Katie's in. So I scrolled through because we've been busy this week and I haven't had a lot of chance to to mess around on Facebook or whatever, but I saw him posting something about, and you know, he's a, and we had it, we've had him on the podcast. He's a great trainer. Um, He's really good. He's a really good, trainer but he's also good at talking to people which i i think is why he has such a good success rate but he was talking recently because there's this pervasive myth in the united states that if you alter your dog uh you know if you haven't spayed or neutered that their behavior will change and i don't know where the fuck that comes from and i I don't know what spurred katie to fucking go off on it but he was on like a facebook live thing and he had some fucking memes up and i was like man i don't know what the fuck happened but he was super he was super spun up about it but uh, i mean and like i said i mean i hear that all the fucking time i had a police department come to me today and um, one of the dogs that uh, they were looking at was cryptic. So, uh, and his um, testicle, the undescended one, was removed. And they, before the, when I when they found out, it went like I, they knew about it. But before they can even ask me, I just said it doesn't alter. Obvious. They they literally watched him work all morning, and he does not lack drive, aggression, or anything we need. And I was like, clearly, it's not you know a problem. And they were like, oh, I was like, the only problem that it would cause is if we left it in and you're guaranteed to get cancer from that. So it's been removed. It's no big deal. Definitely doesn't affect his drive. Even if he didn't have both nuts, it still wouldn't affect his fucking drive. That shit, aggression is formed in utero. Drive is formed in utero. Like it's not like getting your fucking nuts cut off is, or, you know, having being spayed is not changed behavior. And I, I don't know where or why that fucking started here. I don't Do they do that shit down there too? Do they say yeah, that down there too? Prolific, but people are starting to starting to spay you to their dogs later because of all the the health implications, like um, you know, problems with development and joints right. and whatever else. Not my area of expertise to go into depth on, no. but um, I, I guess it doesn't really have to be because it's it's pretty simple to advise them. Like if you're going to do it, just wait, right? Just wait until at least twelve months old so that the dog develops normally, right? And yeah, especially German well, shepherds. Yeah, oh, German shepherds. Running. You chop them bitches off early. Some of those dogs get weird, man. Like really well, weird. The, it's interesting you say that, right? Because n- not to like be provocative by disagreeing with you, Ted. But I actually I agree a hundred percent with what you said, and I disagree a hundred percent with what you said. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, the reasons that you know you have a someone's dogs cooking off at you know people that it passes on the street or trying to eat skateboarders or whatever and they go 
oh, yeah, chop its nuts off, right? Well, in those situations, I, ne- I, I can't recall the last time I've seen a positive behavioural shift as a result of that occurring, right? They cut the nuts right. off. It doesn't pan out the way that they – in favour of the reason that they do it. But definitely I see a, a lot of behaviour change as a result of neutering, but it's almost always um, undesirable. We see shifts in – I've seen a lot of stuff with bitches that have been spayed, right? Um, some profound behavioural shifts afterwards. Um, not favourable for the most part. But then again, the cohort of dogs I see – I'm seeing right. them because they've got problems. Yep. You, know, the no ones ones you know, the ones Sorry. that we, the ones that we get asked to, to look at are dogs that have already been neutered and they're like, Oh, and you know, we neutered him to, to get him to act a certain way. And I was like, you mean this dog was a bigger asshole before <laughs> you did this? And I was like, that's oh, really, really difficult to believe. Like I, I find that super hard to believe, <laughs> but no, I mean, there's, you know, I've seen, you know, and like, I, I mean, I think that you're, you're hundred percent correct in clearing that up. Like, the the problem I think a lot of people are trying to solve through manipulation of that kind is not that's not the outcome that they're going to get like it's kind of like the law of unintended consequences is like you know I'm going to try and do this and solve it this way and just oh it's just cut his nuts off and he'll be better and, you're, and all of a sudden he's still a dick and now he just doesn't have nuts which is probably not a bad thing yeah. but <laughs> I mean <laughs> look at the power of context boys like I, when yeah. I listen into you guys talk. And Ted, you do, uh, you, I think you both do that high risk, uh, like the high risk deployment type right. seminar that you've developed. You, yeah. you did one mm. recently and there was that veteran guy that had been around since Jesus was in short pants and he was saying it's the best seminar he's ever done. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so look how contextual aggression is, right? Right. How many departments do you deal with where the dogs test well with a person dressed a certain way or a piece of equipment in front of them, Right. And the dog looks like a killer. And then as soon as you shift the context and you change the context, the behavior is not available to call on. Right. Oh, it, oh, it, context is everything for right. a lot of that. And stuff. the dog and the dogs you want to own, right? Like hype and leg and whatever else, these dogs have persistent behavior regardless of context. And that's one of the things you're looking for oh, yeah. is yeah, you you want that to just be innate in the dog and the dog applies that across any context potentially, right? So then you look at vets don't have a great understanding of this, right? And as as you correctly said, Eric, and it's the same here. Um, Actually, on my podcast, um, there's a double episode where I talk to um, a veterinary friend of mine named Dr. Michelle Rasool. And if um, anyone's interested in hearing a level-headed vet that can actually train a dog, she's a pretty handy little dog trainer, um, she has a really different take on things with behavior. And and if you're looking for a vet, if, if you if you want to know what a good vet sounds like when they talk about behavior, that sets to my mind like a gold standard. If you listen to that, you'll have some idea of how a, a vet that no, understands behavior will talk, right? But um, vets don't understand the power of context. And so cutting the dog's nuts off and then putting it back in the same situation where it's done it 1600 fucking times and it's got 14 bites, it's going to do the same goddamn thing. Yeah. Right. Losing its nuts isn't, isn't going to do diddly. Um, So yeah, I, I think that vets would, before vets go doing that stuff, uh, at least on the spot, as I'm thinking this up, there's probably one primary question 
that they could ask, which is what can your dog, what can you get your dog to do, followed by which of those behaviours is, uh, is non-negotiable. And in almost every circumstance, people aren't going to be able to get their dog to do a goddamn thing. They haven't trained their dog for action, right? Everyone gets focused on training the dog for abstinence, not for action. That gets, as you guys know, that gets really fucking miserable really fast. Great way to diminish bond, right? So they, they don't have oh, yeah. a communication system with the dog. They can't, they can't get their dog to do anything. And then on top of that, as you were talking about structure, nothing has progressed to the point where it's non-negotiable. And they'll say, almost always, my clients, you might get the same thing, boys, but my clients will say, oh, he'll sit for his meal. I go, it doesn't count. The food's right in front of him. I'll take my pants off and run down the street if you show me you've got a thousand bucks. If you tell me you've got a thousand bucks, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> right? So that's inducement. And and so if if the vet was to ask those two questions, I think it would, you know, that shines a bit of a, shines a torchlight. So to speak. If you like that one, Ted, shines good. a torchlight yeah, yeah. on um, That'll work. What, what could, you know, where to probably start, not chopping nuts off. Yeah, they might pee on stuff less, but that's about it. But um, so if you're watching this on YouTube, you're like, this dude has a pretty sweet mic set up and everything for a dog trainer. But we're going to get into his podcast because he started, he joined in the podcast world um, with his podcast called The Stim, S-T-I-M. And that stands for some things I'm interested in or interest me. Stuff that interests me. Stuff yeah. that interests me. Yeah. Um, you need, I, I'm going to say this right now. You need to do more episodes. I listened to it. I like your content. Uh, the, uh, the veterinarian ones you're, you're getting, you, you've made, listen, you've made some rookie mistakes with some recordings, uh, <laughs> that we have done. There are two or three episodes on this, of the working dog radio that are a second recording oh, yeah. because some at the end we uh, we didn't record one. I think there was, uh, I think Ted hit delete instead of save on one. Yeah, I, I don't. That I was don't fucking remember. We're like yeah. we're just fucking knuckle draggers. But you, um, yeah. you're good at good at it. So talk about like what what got you to do the podcast and where where that headed to. Oh, cool. Um, so, 2014, I bought my first microphone. To put out a podcast. <laughs> Did a sum total of fuck all that. <laughs> um, and then I registered this podcast, uh, I believe it was December last year, but I could be wrong, but I think it was somewhere around that time and kept making excuses for why I couldn't do it. And then uh, I decided, okay, well, COVID's going to hit. So let's drop all this money and get the good gear and get set up and we'll be good to go. And then restrictions got even tighter. So I couldn't get anyone into the studio. And I I was telling myself I didn't want to do anything over Zoom. I wanted to do the first few in person, which has been good for me. Mm -hmm. But that's what Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, um, I love podcasts. I I would listen to podcasts before watching telly most of the time, before watching TV. I'm just... There's lots of, I've got a curious mind, right? And um, I, I, I'm fascinated by dog behavior still. And I know there's so much I don't know. And I, 
You know, I just want to be the dumbest bloke in the room, right? That's I couldn't imagine a better scenario for myself being around dogs. And you boys are mates with Subtle um, and, and also with um, Ritland. And I've had that conversation with them both. Like, I just want to be the dumbest bloke in the room. Give me an opportunity to go somewhere where I'm the dumbest bloke and I'll be the happiest. So um, I don't know. I'm not dumb, but I don't think I'm any Rhodes Scholar. But along the way, I've actually met some really fucking smart people. Like I've wound up with friends that are neuropsychologists, anaesthetists, psychologists, you know, I met all these smart people along the way. And like a lot of my personal, like professional development doesn't come from liaising with other dog trainers. It comes from learning things that can be applied in dog training or that causes me to ask a question. Right. And so, um, I just thought, well, I might as well leverage this awesome bunch of friends that I have and take this curious mind and then just do a podcast that is more or less about me learning shit and sharing that with people. And so I'd be lying if I said I knew who my market was and I'd be lying if I said that, like, I have a grand plan. Um, At the moment, I'm just trying to – I just have a golden rule that I'm trying to have conversations that not only will interest me but I – I think back where I was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And, and if I heard those conversations, would they be valuable to me as a dog trainer or something? And that's, that's pretty much what I'm doing with it, man. That's, that's about the summary. So Ted and I have learned during this, you know, working dog radio, if you, if you, you know, ever people know it's not just police canine. We do, you know, we'll do um, avalanche dogs and search and rescue and uh, some sport competition dogs and things. But one, the other thing we've really learned is that a huge bit of our audience are not dog trainers. They're not dog um, handlers or, or anything like that. They're just dog enthusiasts, you know, like dog lovers and different things like that. And they want to learn. And maybe they're a pet owner who wants to have a, the best dog. And they like, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're good because you're, you are a character. So f- to get, English people or, you know, Americans, it's an easy sell for you. And I, and that's why I sell. We're an easy sell because Ted looks like the drummer from the Muppets. Um, And I'm just a grumpy old dude that says the C word every once in a while. So, uh, you know what I mean? But so for you, Australia, that's what we call sandwiches. That's what we call our mates. That's (laughs) yeah. (laughs) That that term is in common usage, boys. I can assure you, I give it a good hot run every day. So is the plan is the plan to on the podcast to kind of tie everything into dogs? Are you thinking like branching off into whatever stuff that interests you that might um, not have nothing to do with dog? Look, man, um, I've got that. I guess I've got from the name, I've got that open. But at the moment, I consider it to be primarily a dog podcast. But man, I, look. I'm going to, I figure I'm just going to have to do this for two years and keep pumping out content that means something to me before anyone even really listens to it. I don't, I think, I don't know how many subscribers. I think we've got around 60 subscribers, the software estimates. Um, We're doing pretty well. Overall, I feel like we're doing pretty well. We get some good feedback from people. And and, um, the good thing is that I'm also getting feedback on stuff I need to do better, which is the most valuable stuff for me. But yeah, look, it could go, it could certainly go down that road. At the moment though, man, dogs are like a huge part of my life and have been for almost two decades, right? So. 61. You're a goddamn legend. There you go, 61. (laughs) I appreciate it. 
Ted, just, have a word to your beard. Get is. your beard to subscribe. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I'll pull it up. On my, I don't have my phone in front. I don't know the fuck it went. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll subscribe to it for sure. Yeah, I listen to podcasts when, <laughs> when we're I'll, flying I'll, 30s and stuff. I'd love to. Sorry, Ted, I spoke over you, mate. No, you're good. I, I just said I listen to podcasts when I'm on the plane and stuff. So, you know, and I, mine are sort of diverse. Like I don't listen to other, oh, I do sometimes listen to some other dog podcasts, but I'm kind of like you, like I'm listening to um, things that are not at all related to what I do professionally. So <laughs> and, yours is how to kill babies with an electric guitar through the <laughs> God metal. Yeah, that's me and Ray. Yeah. Me and Ray, exactly. <laughs> that's dope. Yeah. But yeah, man, I, I, it's a great question, Eric. I don't really know. Like, I guess over a period of time, like, um, people start. I've got to get a lot better at social media. I don't promote it well. Like, I'm, I'm wearing a lot of hats at the moment, and I'm I'm really not. I, I don't think I'm doing the guests that I have justice because I should be promoting more on whatever else. But I'm finding my feet. I'll get there, and I guess over a period of time, if it turns out that there's an audience that is interested in what I have to say because I find it interesting and it's not dog related. Maybe we can do that, man. But there's so much that interests me about dogs. If yeah, there wasn't. We'll have to I'd flip this around and have Ted Nike on your show. I, I would love that. As soon as you guys <laughs> are willing to do it, let's go. I think we could have a really good conversation about, especially with your police background, man, there's um, – uh, like with both of you, the work that you do with the LA dogs and stuff, looking at, um, you know, deep, that deeper conversation about reactivity and aggression and stuff. I think it'd be really interesting to look at how you guys do things and compare some notes and stuff. Yeah, for sure, man. It would be a good time. Cause we can, uh, I don't know if you, we were on Ritland's podcast early on when he, he was like, I don't know, yep. like four or five episodes in, we hardly ever talked about dogs. I talked about, hookers and all kinds of shit good stuff you know yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah and that dude that dude seeing that other dude's dick yeah that, oh, was, that or was, me seeing a lot yeah. of dicks you know in, undercover a dick so, joke's yeah, not funny oh no, right <laughs> so where where do people find you talk you don't promote enough but you got to man and i'll stay on top of you i'll be like hey i haven't seen nothing from me in a few days it's got to be every Please. day Every day. That's how the algorithm works, bro. So where are you at on Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff? Where can people find you? So the business is Canine Services International. Um, so based in Melbourne, Victoria, as I said, um, if you just search the word canine, C-A-N-I-N-E, Canine Services International, you'll find us on Facebook. You'll also find us, letterk9services.com.au is the website. That's also the Instagram handle. And if you just go to the website, there's little social media icons that you can click on to, to find our channels. Um, that would probably be the easiest. And then the podcast is called The Stim, the stuff that interests me. Um, there's half a website at the moment. I wouldn't bother going there, but um, probably most active on Instagram. So if people ever want to give feedback on on the podcast or suggest stuff, um, the dot stim dot podcast on Insta is, is the place to do it. Excellent. Dude, you don't have a I small will. following. I mean, like on, and Facebook, you have almost 5,000 people and 2,200 on, yeah. on Instagram that you, yeah, we, we need to talk. We need to get you, uh, <laughs> it, 
Put really? the leash down. Put the clicker down for a minute and post. <laughs> put the clicker yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> look, Ben, I'll, I'll be honest and say I don't really. If if I had to look for a reason that people follow me, I guess for better or for worse, I, I really try hard not to speak shit. And if I believe something, then I'll say it's something I believe. If I have an opinion, I'll say it's my opinion. If it's a fact, I'll call it, say it's a fact. Right? I try not to mess those up, but. It blows me away that that many people like take the time. I'm sure you guys feel similar, right? Like you look at it and you go, "Fuck oh, yeah. me!" Like there's 400 million bloody pages out there that these people could pay attention to, and someone actually takes the time mm -hmm. to check mine and thinks that something I'm saying is worth following. That blows my mind. That's, um, you know, th that's very humbling to me. We talk yeah, about all the Eric time. and I both look at his office. Yeah, his office yeah, yeah. is in the living room or whatever, and mine's in my bedroom. Yeah, we're, we're just too. Yeah, everybody humps. thinks. <laughs> and people are like, hey, we're big fans. We go to these conferences. We're big fans. We're like, what? Really? <laughs> like, they're like, I listen to every episode. I'm like, you do? I'm like, I drink beer and tell jokes. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, I mean, I drink beer and tell jokes all day. It's not like, I mean, I don't really train dogs. I just do this. And then I sit around and wait until we. No, I don't do shit anyway. <laughs> this is what I do. So yeah. <laughs> I think another reason that I'd, I'd be interested to hear how you guys sit on this, but after having started, I also sort of realized that if I can keep going with this podcasting and get some traction, it's actually a really good way for me to do, for me to offer information to people for absolutely free and like add value for them, right? offer some education, offer some information that maybe causes them to ask better questions, whatever else. It's, it's actually a pretty kick-ass feeling when someone reaches out and goes, that episode was dope. That was straight fire. Like uh, Dr. Michelle, the vet episode, right? And my other buddy, Dale. Like the amount of compliments I've had about Rick Hogg, um, right. that interview, it's, it's really humbling, man. And, and it sort of feels nice to do something like that because, to be honest, I can't afford to do shit for free. I've got... 40 grand a year of overheads just to sit in this training center and office. And then I've got vans to run and dogs to feed and bills to pay and whatever else I can't afford to work for free. Right. But it's a way that I can, I can add value for people and, and, and it feels kind of good. I didn't, I, I wasn't that altruistic when I got into it, <laughs> but nah, I feel, you, you know, know, now that I'm there. And this, this, the podcast, this podcast has turned into something else it, in it, it, from the get go, it was designed to be something else other than what it is now. And, um, <clears throat> Eric and I, um, and Alicia wanted to address some problems that we kind of saw, um, in, like the police work in police canine in general um, in the United States from things like admin through information to uh, modernizing training. There were several things that it, um, that it was designed to address. And the one thing that I've consistently found is that um, whatever it is, whether it's me or Eric or both of us or whatever, and maybe it's the way I presented it, or maybe it's the way he presents it. I don't know what it is but it resonates very well with people. Um, and, you know, a lot of what Eric and I talk about comes from experiences that we do. Like we're both working trainers um, and training every fucking day, among other things. And um, there's a certain authenticity to that that I think can be lost a lot of times. And that 
kind of came through, comes through um, very easily with some of this stuff, at least with Eric and I. And from the onset, this project was designed to help handlers. And the one comment we get routinely, and we get it from guys in Australia, we get it from guys in South Africa, we get it from guys from Europe, we get it in guys from handlers from Canada and the United States. Uh, we've gotten emails from Sweden and they say, Hey, you know, it's helped me so much because it's given me a direction. And like you said, if I can sit here and drink beer and tell jokes and, you know, talk to friends I've never fucking met in person and help people, then, you know, I'm doing something right. And, um, that's, that's sort of where this project has gone. Um, like in moving forward in the future is what it's about, but, so yeah, I mean, I, you're 100% right. I mean, it's one way that you can give information to people that's relevant, timely, and you know that it can do some good. So other than just entertainment, because I mean, honestly, we're funny, which helps. So <laughs> and even if the audio so, cuts, they can look at that face of yours and get a good laugh, Ted. So they're good to go. <laughs> yes, yeah, I started a fucking them. podcast so people didn't have to look at me. Yeah, I started a podcast so people. I get I used to do these. head for radio. Oh yeah. I used to oh, do yeah. these naked, but now because we're on camera, I have to fucking, you know. Now so show brands. <laughs> now I have to put a shirt oh, on I'll at least. So. Right now. <laughs> right on. So uh, we'll get uh, and get everybody in the show notes to get to the website to get to the podcast. Um, Eric, where are you? Uh, Van S Canine on Instagram. Van S Canine Academy on uh, Facebook. Those are mostly pets on that. Um, vanscanine.com is the website what else uh we got hrd please canine and we have our patreon page working dog radio uh on patreon and uh what about you uh yeah all those normal places we have the podcast um has its own insta and its facebook working dog radio and then working underscore dog underscore radio on the onstagrams uh, I am Ted underscore Summers on Instagram and Torchlight Canine, letter K number nine on Instagram and on Facebook for the kennel page. Um, some of that stuff has changed um, there. Uh, we have got new shirts up for uh, Torchlight. By the time this pops up, it should be there. And then, of course, we've got all the cool ones for um, HRD. Or, I mean, sorry. Well, for, for HRD and for uh, the podcast, we've got all those up. So. I feel like with whatever happened today in the United States, we need to make a shirt for that too, but I don't, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to do. So I haven't thought about it enough yet. Well, Brad, man, this has been a fucking awesome episode. Um, it's a great kickoff to our um, down under series where you guys have uh, the, the own uh, culture and way of doing things and working dogs. And I just kind of wanted to, you know, for everybody listening from Australia that listens to this, you know, we thank you for supporting the podcast. And um, I think, uh, Brad, you did some justice tonight for uh, you and the rest of the guys down there. And so I think the other the other interviews after this is going to be very good. So, man, we super appreciate it. Somebody that's been with us since the beginning of this entire program has been Arno from ALM Equipment out in Vegas. Arno does a fantastic job making suits, tugs, and sleeves. Uh, one of our favorite things that we use at HRD is the hidden sleeve from Arno, and I've got multiple suits, and so does Travis. We use them as a kennel all the time. ALMK9Equipment.com is where you can find it. Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order.
Tripwire Operations Group, man, what a great group of guys. It's an internationally recognized leading provider of product services and training for federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies and military units. Tripwire Operations Group is an ATF licensed explosive materials manufacturer, importer, exporter, and dealer with a wide range of explosive products to offer, including custom kits. These kits are great for detection canine imprinting, and they have three different kits to choose from. The use of all three kits combined creates a complete explosive threat package for canine teams. Be sure to check them out. If you go there to pick up your explosives, they will let you blow some crap up. Check them out at tripwireops.org. Lastly, this music that you hear uh, has been graciously granted to be used by us by Brother Deeg. He's a fantastic artist out of Louisiana. Uh, guy does a magnificent job. He's been through Tulsa a couple times and I've seen him live. Be sure to hit him up at brotherdeeg.net, D-E-G-E.net, uh, or go to Apple iTunes or Spotify or wherever and download and buy CDs. Be sure to hit him up, buy some shirts and support the guy. The guy does a fantastic job and uh, he's a privateer kind of like we are. So brotherdeeg.net, D-E-G-E, hit him up. This episode and this entire series and this podcast is co-produced and co-owned by Alicia Brandt. You got your reasons, I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.